0: We're live, man. You ask me every time. We're live. We're rolling. Live man, rolling. it's been
1: a uh, crazy week at Northern Seminary because I'll tell you, that ATS accreditation stuff, man.
0: ATS Association in. of Theological Studies is coming here to accredit us every 10 years. Woohoo!
1: I understand that you were at least in three meetings. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that tell you? they got a little more doubts about you uh,
0: <laughs> imagine if they had an accrediting service for actual churches and every 10 years they came in and asked are you guys still a church what standards are are you guys uh, fulfilling the mission of Christ i think that pretty much accreditation be good for us. church
1: accreditation takes care of itself over time if you are not being the church you pretty much implode
0: some, I don't know some about might be that. saying
1: that's what's happening to a lot of churches today i mean i don't want to get negative folks please don't turn off the dial or whatever you do on a podcast keep it
0: on keep it on station whatever we are but uh yeah okay the station is our podcast hey you know what uh this time of year is it's the time of year where i start as a californian complaining about how cold it's getting just a couple days ago there was like snow falling from the sky it's the worst and you went up to Canada and forgot how cold it was up there last week and everybody well, gave you grief for it. Yeah, it was a little colder up
1: there than I was expecting. I think it was basically negative eight. So the negative Bill Cannon listening and um who else is I up there? I wouldn't bet on that.
0: Yeah. All of you guys, uh, all, you're right.
1: All three Canadians we know are probably listening right now going, Oh, Dave's Fitch, Canadian week has been an excuse revoked. for a Canadian. It's but anyway and
0: they speak differently up there, don't they?
1: No, they don't. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's A? embarrassing to be sitting next to you sometimes <laughs> when you talk about Canada. You, like the rest of Americans, don't know anything about
0: that Canada. That is quite true. But today's episode, we're talking all about speaking language concepts and how they can get all befuddled upon one another. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, so basically we want to talk about, you know, what happens to us regularly, us meaning the average pastor. Um We find ourselves saying something in different language worlds um, where we get corrected. I call it we get policed. Uh,
0: You know, there's... What do you mean by that, a different
1: language world? Well, we live in a complicated world where we can no longer assume people are all speaking the same language. So, in fact, there are multiple, multiple language worlds related to numerous communities like minority communities, or university academic communities, or sexuality, gender worlds, or um, ethnicities, uh, immigrant languages, um, and and so what we find ourselves saying, like the other day, um, I said to someone, uh, I, I referred to the the Latino community as Latino. Someone else said Hispanic. I said. So uh, so one of my students said, don't say, this is like three years ago. One of my students said, uh, please don't call me Hispanic because Hispanic refers, I- is the word that the census uses, the United States census uses to classify me. And that's an imperialist word. And this was a millennial mm-hmm. and they preferred Latino or Latina.
0: Right. The
1: Latino I was talking to last week said, no, we in Miami actually prefer Hispanic. And so uh, who, he says, who are you talking to? I was talking to a young millennial from Chicago, uh, an Hispanic from Chicago who preferred Latina. Okay, so you see how tricky it gets mm-hmm. that we... So uh, in some parts of Chicago, our African-American brothers and sisters prefer, call me black. Others, especially in academic worlds, call me African-American. I prefer that. There are words, as we learn from Ta-Nehisi Coates in that, that great uh, expose on on the N-word and why it's, uh, why it's appropriate within some black contexts. But it's certainly never appropriate for a white person to use the N-word. Right. And all of the various uh, ways that he described the various language worlds at work uh, within the various um, ethnic or cultural groups that he's a part of, including even when he uses the word honey. He said, hey, I might call my wife, honey, but I'm not going to call the woman on the street that's with my wife, honey, or my wife is going to think something's going on. <laughs> it's totally inappropriate to use the word honey. All language is contextual and expresses, um, uh, helps us understand and see things certain ways, ensconces power relationships, gives us a picture of the way the world works even gives us moral purposes and ends and organizes relationships. And so it's very important to know when we're going into a different language world uh, and how to enter into those language worlds if indeed we're going to be present and and proclaim the gospel.
0: And this kind of goes back to the postmodern critique of language and representation that words don't represent the world that's already out there but rather, as you said, they create a picture or they create the situation, they create the world that we see, live, and interact within. And so when you call attention to words, you're really calling attention to how uh, our realities and worlds are constructed and contextualized at, at every level. I mean, this this so even huge. happens within churches and pastors, and words are really shorthand for other things uh, and code words, and, but they could mean different things in different contexts. We just got in a conversation about inerrancy uh, in our church and how that's a code word for some people and it just doesn't mean anything to other people and blah, 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 blah. But for others, you you got to have it. And, you know, for other people, it just doesn't even matter. Yeah, it's a conversation the, not even worth having.
1: And and I argue in a couple of places where I've written about this, that inerrancy even becomes a code word, which organizes people into groups that believe uh, one way of thinking about the Bible over against others who don't. So-called maybe liberals, which is another way of of the use of language. So the bottom line is,
0: is that we, language is confusing.
1: Well, And it takes
0: attention and patience to work it all out. Like, you think of
1: all the uh, now gender-specific languages versus sexuality-specific languages. Um, And you think about how, if you enter into some of those worlds, and everybody's entering these worlds, um, you know, you have to use gender-specific language, not sexuality-specific language. They are two different things, although some people, including me, probably think they're related theologically, anthropologically. But no, as you enter the world, let's say, of the public schools and all the, the soji, the sexual orientation, gender identity discussions, you have to learn how to speak a language. So I have a few suggestions for pastors in how you enter these language worlds and secondly, how we teach our people to enter language worlds, to be witnesses uh, for the gospel. My phone keeps going off and you're getting upset with me again. Oh boy, here we go. Okay, so here's the first suggestion first suggestion is um, enter in. When you enter into someone else's world, you must enter into their language world. Only after you know it well can you discern its beauty, discover its goods, ask questions, discern the power structures within it if there are some, uncover the injustices, but you need to first enter in and learn the languages before you resist or make judgments within that language world. And I, and I believe that, you know, only conquerors, only imperialists, only colonialists insist on you speaking their language at the threat of violence or the sword or coercion. Mm-hmm. So we, we have to take as missionaries in the post-Enlightenment world We have to um, enter into a world and understand that language first. And one of the, by the way, one of the first things we might have to do is accept being policed in the way we use language. Like, for instance, numerous times I've been corrected on how I use the gender-specific language versus sexuality language. I've learned how to speak cisgender versus straight, uh, but they're not correlated. Don't make that mistake. Uh, But cisgender, bigender, transgender. And then move over into the sexuality languages when really we're talking about the whole world of sexuality versus gender, mm-hmm. you know, bisexual, transsexual, uh, gay, lesbian, etc. And so there's so, folks, we're in this crazy. World these are world.
0: all ways of learning how to dislodge your heteronormativity. Exactly.
1: Actually, that just proves my point that some of these languages uh, are for the purpose of resisting uh, certain power structures within a greater society or, 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 uh, um, hierarchical imposing coercive structures laid upon certain people who feel that that's coercive. All that to say, this is the world we live in. And so I want to say, I, I, please, um, let me get through the other two points before you start going crazy on this. But all of us need to understand the power relationships we are a part of, especially us white males, and so we need to learn and enter in and be policed. It's okay to be policed in our languages and the way we use language and do it and accept it graciously, receive it as a, as a person inviting you into their language world. That's my point, number one. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah,
0: so let me break this down into a couple different levels. Like One, just the basic pastoral communication, active listening skill. It's just a good habit to, when you're listening to somebody, to really uh, be patient, to uh, repeat back what you're hearing, to get into, as you say, the language world of the person you're communicating. That's just being courteous and humble. That's just doing good pastoral work. If you take it up to another level of missions work, if we really believe that North America is a mission field, if we really believe that there's legitimate cross, almost cross-cultural work to be done, then that needs to be, if if it's not going to be colonizing, right, if it's not going to be a colonialist takeover of the area that we're uh, engaging with, then it has to first position itself through listening and entering in and understanding what is going on before we even bring uh, a different language or we engage that language or any of those. So it's just, it's a posture of being a missionary is to listen first. Yes. And so uh,
1: all that's really, really important, but here's,
0: and and then the last level is that you already mentioned is also coming from position of power, at least as uh, white male pastors, which we are, and maybe some uh, are listening that we need to you know, take even that, we need to take that further step and listen and understand that, you know, we often do have the language of power and we never even have to learn other people's ways of speaking because we're the privileged ones and it's everyone else who has to learn to speak like us and we never have to learn to speak like anyone else. So we have to understand that power dynamic. Yeah. So the first, uh, the first tip for us
1: leading churches into the world of culture these days is that we have to be willing to enter in, learn another language understand what's being going what's going on before we even make judgments about the power structures, violence, or anything else going on within this language world. But the second thing then is we need to figure out our own language. Okay, this might sound uh a little community centric and a little bit defensive, but the fact is that Christians, by virtue of who we are and our history, in and through Jesus Christ, have a language like for instance sin we have this peculiar word sin which is a diagnostic word to help us understand what's going on when we rebel disobey god set into motion a set of consequences um on our lives because we're living out of harmony disobedience or rebellion against god well that's that's a heavy term Mm
0: -hmm. which
1: is not what are you doing are you are you I'm work- uh, are you paying attention? I'm totally it? paying attention. What are you doing on your phone right now? I'm
0: I'm wor- I'm working on the whole podcast here, man. Don't, you're working you're, on the
1: podcast while I'm talking. Anyways, uh, <laughs> he's supposed to be listening, um, folks. I hope you're not. Well, if you're, it's okay if you're,
0: <laughs> if you're... I was just getting something ready for later, okay? All right. Uh, man, so you're pulling the curtain behind on the podcast. You're letting no, everybody in. I want in. people to know that you're not always <laughs> listening even though they, you act Dave like you are. Dave feels unappreciated and a little ignored by his co-host right now. <laughs> all right point two okay I was listen- what did i just say you were complaining about how i wasn't paying attention <laughs> before that <laughs> i don't know i wasn't paying attention all right ladies
1: and gentlemen just let me uh, uh, point number one enter in to the other language two need to figure out our own language um, and I was I was going off on a riff on the on the word sin and how it is not a word used in many different languages. Or if it is, we're gonna to have to learn how to translate it. But that's my third point. My second point is we need to figure out our own language. For too long in America, in North America and Canada in USA and Canada, we have too often assumed that everybody's speaking the same language and they're not. Let me give you an example of what I think is the primary example of this. I believe that somewhere along the line, we, we uh, assumed everybody says means the same thing when they say the word marriage. I do not believe Christians mean the same thing when they say the word marriage as what, generally speaking, the popular culture or let's say the Hollywood culture or any number of other cultures mean when they say marriage. Therefore, when we say we are against or not affirming of gay lesbian marriage, I do not believe it's understood because I think those outside the church hear that and they do not understand that we mean something totally different than what the general consensus is on marriage. Help me out here and explore that concept a little bit more.
0: Well, I was reading, uh, I was reviewing uh, Jonathan R. Wilson's great small book, uh, Living Faithful in a Fragmented World. It's his digest of uh, Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue and how it might apply to the church. I highly recommend it. It's Living Faithfully in a Fragmented World. And he talks about how um, our we lived in a Christian culture for so long that Christian words have gone out uh, and now are kind of, in my summary of it, are are being echoed back to us, but they're being distorted. But we'll hear words like marriage or we'll hear words like... Faithfulness, or we'll even see people, you know, like the whole thoughts and prayers kind of controversy that comes yes. up after shootings, you know, yeah. we'll hear this, these pious religiously sounding things from politicians or from other people. And we say, aha, see the culture isn't really so lost. They're speaking like Christians, but he says, and he points out, he says, but these things can be very deceptive and misleading because what they mean by these things is totally different than what we mean. And what we mean uh, don't all align even among Christians many times. And so yeah, um, we're speaking uh, the same words, but meaning totally different things, and so it just totally so, breaks down. So, marriage rights, even what it means to be free, freedom in Christ—like these are things that people can mean vastly different things. One person means I can do whatever I want; it's total license, you know, licentiousness. The other person means, you know, I'm, you know, fundamentalist, and X, Y, Z. Freedom in Christ means bondage to whoever my past, you know, whatever. Yeah. Right? They, these things can just mean so many different things, and so how is it that, and so the, and then the church. Our, our own language gets diluted and corrupted. And I think maybe this was one of your points, maybe not, that uh, how can the church reclaim its own practices of faithfulness to its own language? Like, are we even living faithfully? I think well, this is a no huge question. problem. There's no question
1: that language within the church is always developing and growing and extending. But sometimes we lose what it means, like, for instance, to be married, and it is not the same as this romantic intimacy of, uh, Uh, meet all my intimacy needs through sexuality uh, in marriage idea that is so popular in the culture. It's actually death. Okay. Now that's, uh, we used to say that and people used to get angry at us. You used to,
0: I still say that. Okay.
1: Well, well, what we mean is it's, the love is, is an act of giving oneself up for the other and doing it in reciprocity continually and out of that, a love grows towards one another, an attachment, a union, a mutuality. Uh, out, really, out of out of the uh, giving up towards the difference that's represented in the other person, and we grow. And it's all about sanctification. It's all about death and life. Anyways, to say that is is a and it's dependent on the work of Christ in our lives through forgiveness, reconciliation, renewal, and healing that must happen out of one's relationships every day, every week, every month, every year. Okay, all I'm trying to say is that is not necessarily what people out there mean when they talk about marriage. And we need to learn how to speak our language faithfully out of a witness and that might so. Sometimes the worst things we can say is using our language to say no thanks or condemn somebody outside the church that doesn't even understand what the words mean. And I think it's very important, therefore, to uh, relearn and be faithful to and redescribe what we mean by our practices and the very important words that make up our life together. And that's my second point today. First point is we need to enter when we're entering other worlds, we need to enter that language world and allow ourselves to be policed and learn what things mean before judgment, before uncovering, uh, before maybe speaking into some of the perverse violence of the world. We need to understand what those words even mean. And then secondly, we need to recover our own language, uh, and, uh, 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 build it up, edify it, grow it, and help us understand how it shapes our lives. But then lastly, okay, there will be times when we, and this is the most tricky one, resist the imposition of languages on us for the shaping of our lives. If indeed language shapes our lives, it shapes the way we view and understand one another. It shapes... um Um, the way power works. Our language in Christ cannot just haphazardly adopt language from the world without it either being translated or transformed. So do you ever feel in in your ministry when you're being coerced to speak certain languages on the terms given to you and it might actually be compromising the things you believe and understand about the way the world works
0: under Jesus as Lord? I remember... uh, one person, I mean, I have lots of examples, but I think one is like uh, the language of self-discovery of I need to learn who I am. I need to become who I am, and I need to, and, and it was in the it was in the context of actually divorcing uh, his, you know, ending his marriage. It was yes. like, I, I can't find out who I am because of this other person that's, like, squashing me was the kind of inner narrative. And I think that this this language of finding out who I am, I always kind of bristle at because as a pastor, like, I get it on the one hand, but I also just want to say, I don't care. <laughs> and this is where I'm a horrible pastor. Right? I don't care who you are. I care who Christ is making you to be. Like, And maybe sometimes pe- people say that, mean that, like the whole Christ thing, but a lot of times it's not. And so, like, the language of self-discovery and self-actualization Is that good language to adopt in the church or is that bad language? Well, maybe it depends, but I don't know. It's a a difficult. Yeah,
1: Uh, I I once wrote an article or a chapter in a book uh, Why We Need More Preaching in the Therapist's Office or something like that. Do you remember that chapter?
0: Yeah, that was your angry book. book, The need for
1: more preaching in the psychologist's office. But, you know, sometimes we allow the therapeutic languages of our culture, which are not all bad, again, We need to enter in to understand it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the therapist language is at odds with the language of God and finding our our identity in Christ and the language of death to self as opposed to being
0: true to oneself. I think another another example um, can be uh, the the Brene Brown shame vulnerability language, which I think is great on multiple levels. Um, But then. But I don't know. Like sometimes that can be its own um, way. This is going to be hard to tease out. So maybe this isn't a great example. But uh, sometimes I feel like uh, shame and vulnerability can be uh, a way to police language too. Like, oh, you can't say that to me. We can't speak this way to people because it's going to make them feel bad about themselves. Yes. It's like, well, I don't. My goal isn't that people would feel bad about themselves, but my hope is that they would be honest about who they are and what they're doing and how God might enter in. Right. So how how do we how do we balance, you know, not wanting people to feel bad, but seeking honesty, truth and living in the light and things like that? Does that make sense? Yes. So these are kind of the languages where you you can when you adopt them, you feel like you're doing a good thing. But then you quickly are boxed in. And you find out that maybe the gospel's not at work in, in these languages.
1: Yeah. And so all of this gets to my last and final point. I think we're on point number four. And that is. Uh, The tricky world of navigating our own language in a world of multiple languages around us. And I think we have to learn the skill. Like when you're sitting in another language world and God's called you to be a witness um, to what we believe and who we are, we're always going to be asking questions. Why do you talk like that? When you said that, what does that mean? Oh, isn't that interesting? Because in my world, I've learned it means this. Can I ask you a question? And maybe there's times to now explore the violence at work in our languages, the patriarchy, the hierarchies, the abuses, the coercions, the assumptions that drive the way we talk about sexuality, about women, about men, about gender, about uh, other religions, about, um, about race. I mean, there, we, we have become very aware in the last 15 years that the language of racism and race has invented a whole new way of looking at each other, which needs to be questioned and maybe um, undone in the, in the work of reconciliation in Jesus Christ. I even heard, uh, you know, I've seen several times in the last four years where we don't like the word reconciliation anymore because the word has lost its it has become um, ameliorated it has become it's lost its power and has become a means of smoothing over something that really needs to be dealt with at the core you know the broken histories in racism in this country. So, uh all this is, means I mean, I don't know if this has helped anybody, but it's helped me <laughs> that we need to understand Our podcast is aware. really
0: just therapy for ourselves and if anyone helped is helped then then thinking.
1: Hey, at least it helps the two of us and and that makes it worth doing. But I just want to say that we need to know how to enter into other language worlds while at the same time working for the integrity, faithfulness of our own ways of speech. And then when the two enter into each other, we need to work for the witness of the gospel. Uh, And this takes translation, asking good questions, being non-coercive, making observations, asking when you say that, do you mean this? Oh, when we say this, we mean this. What do you think about that? And opening up space for uh, a redemption to break forth in the inter in the interconnection interrelationship of two language worlds because i really do think christian christianity can be seen as a language world as a culture unto itself that that breeds forth meanings and purposes in the world and a way to see the world And and it will not make sense unless we know how to live it and talk it and interrelate it with the worlds around us
0: and that just to sum up that takes a vibrant way of life of a communal life and so my my just to end my advice is you know you maybe you take the more conservative route on all these language issues and you don't want to use the word gay or cisgendered or all these types of things okay fine but don't think that you've won anything because you've drawn a line in the sand how about if you uh and i'm speaking to myself too. You know, how about if all of us had a vibrant way of life where men and women could live in safety without harassment together, where the full spectrum of manhood and womanhood and uh, was was breaking down gender stereotypes and, you know, was embraced. And how about if we just have a fully, you know, again, vibrant way of living sexually? Uh, let's do that instead of counter policing the, the language police about other things like that. Just it does yeah. no good. And we don't make any progress. Um, even if theologically or culturally you're on that side of the fence well we, we could talk
1: on and on about this because you you and I are into the the what's called the linguistic turn, we're into the philosophy of language, we're into Wittgenstein where all of that has taught me enormous things. but the bottom line is let's learn how to enter into other language worlds before we try to witness to the gospel let's learn how to have our own integrity in our own language so that we can know the difference between what we're saying and what other people are saying then let's learn how to go translate back and forth dialogue open up space for God to breathe new for God to reveal what he's doing and for that takes a way of life in which our language can make sense to other people and with then, that, that so was a heavy
0: course in linguistic philosophy. But I that was. It. What are we going to title this podcast? We're going to have to come up with something snappy. I, I already,
1: I already got a title. I forgot what the title is. All right. Well, do we'll right. get that in a second.
0: Hey. Do so speaking of language games and uh, cognitive worlds, uh, let's do something we haven't done in a while, and I'm springing this on you. So I'll go first. But let's do what that, you're reading. That's what you were doing when you were looking at your phone and not listening uh, to me. Uh, well, we'll get back uh-huh. to that in a second. Well, what are you reading? So right now, I've been. I picked up. Stephen's Stephen King's book on writing it's just called on writing half of it's a memoir of just like his childhood and growing up and kind of how he got into writing which is super interesting and then the other half is his tips and tricks and um, bugaboos about the writing process and different things that bother him and it's been super interesting so I kind of flip it back and forth between the memoir and the other writing section, so I love it. That sounds like a very really cool book. i got to read that That's book. It's excellent. What yeah. do you got on your bookshelf? Um, I got in the mail,
1: Awaiting the King by Jamie K. Smith. I started to read it. Um, I'm enjoying it. Um, I think that Jamie K. Smith is one of the greatest minds for for uh, pulling m- o- multiple disparate sources in to make an argument, which maybe we're all familiar with, but he deepens it. I'm reading that book. I'm also uh, reading a book on... Um, Uh, This is a book by one of our students recommended to me, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's about um, Frankfurt School and Alistair McIntyre, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm sorry. I wish I could give you that, but you know what?
0: We'll save that for next time I guess. (laughs) All
1: right. So, uh, and uh, yeah, that's it for now.
0: Now we're going to do what I was looking into. We're going to do Fitch versus Fitch because I hadn't pulled this before. In, and I pulled up Facebook. Hasn't the podcast gone long by no, now? No, we have enough time. Don't you all think we have just enough time before you turn us off? Dave Fitch said on November 13th at 7.47 a.m. You do most of your best uh, Facebooking in the morning. So everybody get up early and check out Dave Fitch in the early morning hours. He said, or you said rather, we do not reason together for the purpose of winning an argument. But to dis, but to discern the, the reasons for arguing, or the goods. This is your summary of Alistair McIntyre. That makes no sense. What the heck are you talking no. about? No, what I'm trying to
1: say is we don't get together to argue to see who's going to win. We get together to discern what this argument is about.
0: Come on, that makes so much sense. That it plays right we're, into we're, our whole conversation today. Right. See, I was setting it up. I could let are are off with discerning
1: that. what the goods are that God's calling us both together in in our conversation dialogue what you might call an argument but we're not coming together to talk in order to see who wins i think the church needs to learn that skill and that's an alistair mcintyre skill yes we talked about alistair mcintyre already once or twice so, this has been an alistair mcintyre so podcast
0: arguing to win the argument but enter into discernments which sound like arguments so that you can really find the root of what's going on and maybe build and where commonality it's us. and where it's taking us and maybe where the commonality and where God is at work and go enter into that place rather than thinking that you want an argument and you can pat yourself on the back and say, I've done mission today. False. Discern right, what God is before doing. Before you get any more excited, there. we got to
1: end this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been great to be with you. I hope this has been as valuable to you as it has been to me and to Holesclaw because uh, this issue of language and how to speak and understand language and entering into language worlds is probably more important now than at any time in the history of our culture. So may God bless you as you seek to enter the worlds we live in and reveal the mystery of Christ and all he's doing uh, to save the world. With that, till next time, Theology on Mission podcast, David Fitch and Jeff Holesclaw.